Well, good morning. You can see that it's a holiday weekend. Let me pray for us, and then uh, we'll jump back in the book of 1 Timothy here. Lord Father, thank you that you love us. We thank you that you are good to us. Lord, we ask that your spirit would teach us and that you remind us of truth this morning, that you uh, would call us into a deeper love of you, and that out of that love we would image you well to the world around us. Lord, I thank you that we get to participate in displaying your glory. pray that your glory would be seen today. pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I do want to encourage you, as Katie said, um, to, uh, to come to the baptisms. It's an opportunity for us to celebrate what God is doing in the lives of people in our city um, and really in this world. Uh, these are international students um, that are going back to other parts of the world. Um, and so we, we get to be a part of celebrating what God is doing in many other places. And so come and be a part of that um, after this at 1 um, down in the marina. So we're in the middle of a series on the book of 1 Timothy. And for the last couple of weeks, we've looked at chapter 2 and how it's really setting up the context of chapter 3 and the discussion on how God has designed his family, the church, to live um, and be structured so that both men and women would be cared for because God deeply loves and God deeply values people equally. And so he's calling all of his people to live in this way so that the entire world would really see how good and how gracious he is and they would desire him and desire his ways by how they see tangibly the life of the church as it's willingly submitting and serving one another. So as we get to chapter 3, what we see God do is describe the various um, offices or roles of the church. And we want to look at the characteristics of these today um, and what God has called his people that lead his church to look like. But I want to remind you, as we're looking at these things today, we're looking at the life here, that this is actually the biblical standard for every person. These qualities are for everyone to be growing in, to aspire to, to possess, are responsible to, to ask the power of the Spirit to work in our life. Um, and so these are not just for the roles that God sets up in the church, but for every person. And this is not really just some description of some super Christian, but rather this is a normative life of what every Christian should look like. If, if you're someone who follows Jesus, this list of characteristics is for you. We're all chosen priests, equally called, equally loved, equal access to God, equally valuable. We're all equal members of God's body with one singular purpose, to bring glory to Jesus by how we reflect him in the roles that he's given us and the functions that he's given us to to, to live in. And so these, these qualities here that we see are designed for all of us to be growing in our lives in. Leaders then become people who, who possess these qualities and are affirmed by the, by the family at large to serve the family by providing oversight and equipping of others in, in the same way that they would say to themselves, I'm continuing to grow in the life of the gospel myself, but God has called us, and as a family, we're affirming that God is calling these people to the role of, of a leader. We talked about this last week as well, that the role of the leader really is a, is a role of a humble servant, um, one who doesn't dominate, dominate over um, with an authoritative manner, but one who walks in weakness, really, um, revealing their need of Jesus. Um, really, they're really being an example with their life and with their speech and training and teaching others what it looks like to have a gospel-centered life. It's, it's servant leadership, it's servant authority, um, where character is more valuable than competency. 
Um, and so the terms that we see here used in 1 Timothy 3 to describe this type of servant leader um, are elder and deacon. And we're going to talk more about deacon in the future weeks. And I want to focus our time this morning on, on the topic of elder. Um, and this term elder is not one that we probably use very often. If I had you to raise your hand, probably my guess is no one actually said elder this week. Maybe you did, but, um, but it's not really a one that, like, not a word that we use in our culture anymore. My guess is if we kind of walked around and like asked people what they thought an elder would, was they'd probably get some description of maybe an elderly person, someone that's old, maybe, maybe somebody that's wise. We maybe even think of the possibility of like some indigenous tribes and some leaders sitting around a fire pit or something. Um, it's not something that we see in the everyday or talk about in the everyday that much. Um, but in the culture and the time period when this book was written, this um, the, the readers of this letter, hearing that term elder, would have had an immediate reference um, and understanding of that term and what, what it meant to be an elder. Part of their culture was that, that every city gate, there were men who sat there every day or were ready to come to the gate if needed to care for people in their community and to, and to care for those who wanted to enter the city and to be a part of that community and to protect those that were within the city. Um, some of the things that they would do was they would, they would make decisions when people had disputes. And they would almost act like judges, as it were. And then what they decided, people would actually follow. And they would, they would oversee these agreements and they would make sure that, that they would live out. So they would deal with the sale of land or livestock. And, and they would hold those parties to what was agreed upon. They also did this with marriages. We see this um, early. If you remember back in the book of Ruth in chapter 4, you'll see Boaz, he goes out to the city gate and he talks to the elders um, and he redeems and buys um, Naomi's land and he takes Ruth to be his wife. And in verse 11, the elders at the gate say this, we are his witnesses. So they attest that it's something good and that it was an act of care. And so they give him blessing to oversee the care then of Naomi and the widow and the marriage of Ruth um, to Boaz, and so elders had this had this um, this role um, to not only handle and care people in the way that they that they sat at the gate, but in order to make sure no one was actually entering the city that would cause harm to people inside, and so they protected people who were under their care. It's the same way. It's the same idea that we see as a shepherd who who would get all of his sheep in his flock into the corral at night, and he would sleep in front of the door so that no animal or no person would come into and harm the harm his sheep. It's why we see often these words are interchanged through Scripture of shepherd, elder, pastor. They're all kind of inter, intertwined because there's there's a lot of parallels that go with them. Elders were men that held great responsibility and care for the service of the community. They were men who were who were well respected and who were appointed through that role because they had displayed that characteristics in the past and in their own life and the life of their family. If we look all throughout the book of Acts, we'll see that there's a pattern that emerges as the church is growing after Jesus returns to heaven, as, as, as people of God start to live out their gospel purpose, and they, they start making disciples in the everyday, and, and as disciples are, are made and the church starts to gather, um, and they, they celebrate what God is doing in their lives, and they're, they're making more disciples. And what would happen as these churches grew, they would, they would follow this biblical design of headship that we've talked about in the family, and they would appoint or really acknowledge elders among people and set them apart to do the work of serving and praying through equipping people. And this process always included both the watching of one's life 
um, over a period of time, as well as much prayer and asking the Holy Spirit to say, is this a man who's called to lead your family? So there was a test of time and that they had wanted to see constantly demonstrated these elder qualities had emerged among elders. It's the idea that, that, that elders really actually emerge and then they're affirmed. Right? That, that, that elders elder, if you want to say it that way, um, and that, that they're, they're already living out these roles within the, the family of God, and then the church just affirms them that this is what they're doing, and then they set them apart and say, we're, we're giving you the responsibility to care and protect the family. If we look uh, in Acts chapter 2, verse 28, I read this verse last week, but Paul is talking to elders here in the church of Ephesus, and he says this, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers or elders. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. What we see here is that the Holy Spirit is actually the one who's choosing the elders. And the the community then just affirms it. But it's the call of God who's really setting these men apart and, and setting them apart. And the Spirit is the one that's doing it. So as we think about that in our own context, we, think of, we want to ask the question, does it seem the Holy Spirit has called this man to lead and oversee his people? Does he actually feel that calling on his life? Do people follow and willingly submit to his gentle and humble authority? Does his life look like what we see here in 1 Timothy? Is the Holy Spirit giving us as a family unity in this call? In just a second, we're going to look through God's job description here of his really ideal servant leader. And as, as we go through these things, I want you to think about them in, in really three ways. Um, and really as a way to, to not only just help us know as elders how to serve the church, but help us to identify an elder when we see one. And I want to encourage you to filter this through the lens of my life and Ryan's life as we currently serve as the elders of the family. I want you to encourage, uh, I encourage you to come to us and, and say, hey, these are areas that we just talked about. I don't see that in your life, and let's talk about that. Or, or I want to say, hey, encourage us in those ways that, that there's areas that we need to grow in as well. And the reality is that there were all people that need the gospel to, to penetrate our hearts in certain areas and so that our lives would reflect the truth that Jesus has made us to be. That just because God has called us into this role doesn't mean that we're completely holy yet or that we're, we're still not in need of sanctification, that we're still in the same process and we need you to help us um, point us to Jesus as well. So also, we're going to remember, filter through that, but also remember that these are qualities that are for your life as well. And so as you think about these things, think about, are these areas that I'm growing in? I want you to identify the areas that that still need to occur in your life, that you still need more growth in. Ask yourself, does my life demonstrate these qualities? I want to say, as we ask the Holy Spirit to change us and take steps within our missional communities and within our DNA groups, and that they would help us begin to work on these things so that the entire church would actually reflect these things. So I want you to think about it in terms of my life and Ryan's life and also in terms of your own life. But I also want you to consider these things in the life of Jared Bryant. Um, Jared is over here. If you guys don't know him, then um, you probably should. Um, Ryan and I have been journeying with with him and watching the life of Jared for quite a few years now, and some of you as well. Um, And we've asked 
those, some of those people outside of our family as well as some of you inside of the family. Um, but this morning, I want to ask all of us to start a process of asking this community, is this a role that God is calling Jared into in our family to, to help us shepherd the church family? And just for clarity's sake here, this role of elder that we're asking you to affirm in him is, is a late elder. It's not a, it's not a paid position. It's a, it's a very similar role that Ryan that fills in here and uh, that we would all mutually serve the family together um, by leading and overseeing and help, help providing prayer and spiritual care for more than just his own missional community, but for all of us as a family. And so Ryan and I want you to invite you into spending time and praying and, and really come to us over the next few few weeks and affirm um, that the things that we look at on this list that you see these in his life and say hey yeah we really believe this we really think that jared is ready and we we affirm that we want you to call him to be a part of that process or say hey i don't i don't know yet and let's talk about those things we want to have a we want to have an open dialogue and say we're we want to clearly discern what the spirit is saying here and see if he's calling jared to actually move into this position of el- to take more care would take place within our body. And, and honestly, I'm excited to see what God's going to do and what God is going to say as we walk this out really in biblical fashion. And so I want to jump into, that was a long intro, um, let me just jump into 1 Timothy 3 here and I want to read uh, this, these qualities of an elder and then we'll, we'll go back and talk about them. So 1 Timothy 3 verses 1 through 7. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, in other words, for an elder, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so they may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil." If we go back to verse 1, we'll see this role of an elder is actually one that, that is to be desired um, by an elder. We're not looking for reluctant leaders here in this role. We're not looking to try to convince someone to, to, to fill a role or to join a board so that we could have a certain amount of people. Rather, we want to start with actually a true desire to serve and to care the family of God. And so the qualities then that, that follow this help us see if that's actually a godly desire or if it's just a person who's looking for, for power or authority or position or role. And unfortunately, um, in many places in, in, our, in our country, people seek this role to be placed in this role for the wrong reasons. And the problem is what happens is, is that... Um, Instead of people being cared for, it leads to actually authoritarianism and laws and competency being accented over character. And yet we see in this list of elders as we go through, there's only one of those things that actually falls into the area of competency. To be able to teach. The rest deal with character traits um, revealed in life. Um, I would say that one does as well. It's a character trait as well. But um, 
And a reminder that this is a life of humility and a life of servants, not a, not, not a positional authority that we're looking for. The second thing we see mentioned in verse 1 here, um, and we discussed this in depth uh, last week, and I'm not going to spend much time on that. And if you missed that for the last couple of weeks, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to them. But we see this again in verse 1, um, that the role of elders is actually set aside for men. Um, we see in verse 1 it says, He desires a noble task. In the original language here, um, there's male and female and neutral tenses. And the tense here is actually a masculine tense. And that would be translated as a male everywhere else that that word was translated. And so just, to, just in the original language here, we again saying, see God saying, These qualities are something that are called to and are supposed to possess a specific role. And it's set aside for a man. Go back and listen to this for more clarity. Um, but this is not a superior gender thing. Each gender is equally created, equally loved, equally valued. Both are called to be interde- interdependent on one another, to complement one another um, within the God given roles that He's given us, and that the weaknesses of each sex would call out the strengths of the other. And we, that we actually need each other to accomplish God's purpose in our lives and to, that God's glory would be revealed in the world around us. So you can go back and there's, I talked about that for two weeks, um, but you can go back and look at that. Um, I want to move on from chapter one and I mean from verse one. We see this list of qualities really help us know, is this a godly centered, what a godly centered life looks like? What's the type of leader that that we want in our lives so that they would be equipping us and teaching us so that we would also look like that if this is something for all of us? There's there's four kind of categories that a lot of scholars agree that these things fall into. And so I'm going to just use those as as a framework for today. The four categories are relationship to God, relationship to family, relationship to self, and relationship to others. And so we'll talk about how these kind of qualities fit under each one of those. So this first this first area, relationship to God. First one we'll talk about is above reproach. Really this idea of being without character defect. Now this does not mean that you have to be perfect. We know in Scripture that God is the only one that does what is good, right, and perfect, that no one is perfect, that everyone has areas of their life where God has given them grace to grow in, and everyone's have their life where they need to continue to grow. What above reproach actually means is that their life is free from, from sinful habits or sinful behaviors that would keep him from being a model for the church to follow. Being above reproach means that no one can honestly bring a charge or accusation against him related to his character or his dealings in life. Another way to to say this is maybe to say this is someone who's known for integrity in all areas of their life. Integrity in all areas of their life. Being above reproach. The second thing under this idea is is able to teach. I want to say this is someone who is an effective Bible communicator. Some have taken this to mean that you that you it's just just supposed to preach is that's what an elder is supposed to do or worse or it's kind of looked at this as the only thing an actually elder does is is teach it's why most of the training I want to say in our in the in the church at large actually revolves around teaching and training head information for people to to preach rather than character development. And I say it's probably why most of the church has fallen into this lie that discipleship 
It's only, it's only being something that is taught head knowledge or, um, or that I'm looking for someone who can teach me something deeper, some deeper information. And this is, that's not the case. Actually, preaching is actually a skill. It's not a, it's not a character quality. So when I got out of seminary, it didn't make me an elder. It didn't make me an elder just because I had finished something in school and I have a master's degree now and I've... Um, it didn't, it didn't mean that I was an elder. It just means that I knew the Bible a little bit better and I could communicate it. But, but often what happens is, is we just look at schooling and we look at someone who's able to teach and, and say, all right, they're an elder, but they don't possess all the other qualities. And it's important that elders can teach, but it's only one of the qualities. Like in many other things, when we look at one of these qualities does not make an elder. So being able to teach means that you have to have... Uh, doesn't also doesn't mean you don't have the ability to stand up in front of the large group and teach. You don't have it doesn't have to be those things. Teaching can take place in many areas of life of the church. We talked about this last week as well. That it's not just proclaim it; it's actually living it out. And so teaching is a is a proclamation and and a living. It's both declaration and demonstration. So what being able to teach means is that an elder should actually have enough understanding of the Bible so they can explain it effectively to someone. It means they must know the scriptures, they must love God's word, and they're committed to making sure others understand it and are equipped in it. And so can they teach how the gospel actually affects every area of life? So as you think about this within, um, within your own life, well, don't just say, well, that's not one that I have to be. That's not reserved for me either. Um, because we all need to be growing in teaching and explaining the gospel. We need to ask the question of yourself, are you studying the Bible where as someone else's spiritual well-being depends on it? Are you studying to where, where you really understand that, that the spiritual well-being of someone else depends on it, not just you? Dads, are you, are you learning the Bible so you can train your kids? Moms, are you studying and, and training them in the Bible so you can equip your kids in the gospel? Singles, are you preparing so you might teach the things of God to everyone within your sphere of influence? We need to be asking these questions. Are we able to communicate the truths of God in whatever setting God has placed you in so that others would see Him and that others would hear and see the gospel clearly displayed? And so are we able to teach... The next one under this category is, is not a new convert. So someone who's actually a mature Christian. Now that may sound obvious, right? Um, but in order for, for a man to, to be a qualified or to lead the church, I want to say he also needs to be a convert. He needs to be a true believer of Jesus. Being in the church for 25, 30 years does not mean that, that someone has given their life to Christ. I've seen this many times, many men and women who have been in the church their entire life, and yet I wonder if they're actually a convert because you look at the fruit of their lives and there's no fruit that's actually described what we see in Scripture. It's a convert means that, that you don't just walk an aisle or you say a prayer, but that that's giving of your heart and that your life in, is in Christ. It's not just some religion added onto another area. Maturity really means... Um, it means one's life speaks the evidence that God is at work. It's not an age thing. It's this is, this is God is continually doing work in someone's heart over the years. It's an understanding that who you are now in Christ is, and what he's done um, 
really reflects on your life over time. It's not just a short burst, right? We're looking for longevity. We're looking for someone who follows Christ and who lives out the gospel over the long haul. That's why we don't want to see just a fresh convert. We need to see, their, they need to see that they would see their need of God and the reality that, that He is the only foundation that they can build their life on. And the only way that they're going to find relationship and, and equip and find rest is finding their rest in God. That that would be something that motivates their every action, their every thought, their every word, their every phone call, their every text, their every email. That I'm a child of the Father, and because of the work of Jesus, I'm in need of Him fostering relationship in my life with Him. And so a man um, who's going to be an elder in this category must have a right relationship with God. The next characteristics kind of relate into this idea of relationship to family. The first one is this, husband of one wife. I say that this is a, a one-woman man, someone who's actually sexually pure. That's what it means to be a one-woman man. You're the kind of man who's committed to your wife sexually. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be married to be an elder. A single man can be an elder. But that you're sexually pure in that case would actually look like abstinence and care for, what, for your future wife or, or, or viewing, actually viewing women as sisters. It's the way we're called to view other women in our body who aren't, we're not married to. This is the way we think about an elder is... Would I trust that elder to be around my wife and my family? Would I feel good having my wife and kids actually submit to this man's authority and his care in their lives? Would I never have to worry about what he's thinking or what he might try to do? Is he, is he not a flirt? Is his mind not filled with sexual thoughts towards other women? As men, we're called to be sexually pure. Jesus makes this very, very clear. In Matthew 5, 27 and 28, he says this. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Can I say many, many men and women in the United States actually look at pornography on a regular basis. Please don't believe that pornography is okay. Pornography is destructive, it's a hindrance to your relationship with God, and it's actually choosing to love yourself more than God more. And it's choosing to love yourself more than love your wife or your future wife. I know this idea is not just isolated for men, it's also isolated with women. I mean, it encompasses anything in all areas that you're physically, where you would be physically attracted to a male or female. We need to be sexually pure in those areas. And so we need to ask ourselves, is your mind sexually pure? When you're interacting with others at work, is it pure? Is it interacting when you're with others at church, in your neighborhood, in the movies, on TV, on the internet? Are you being pure in those areas? If you're struggling in this area, I want to say, God is, you, you are actually committing adultery. That's what God says. That's pretty harsh. But that's the reality of what he says in his word. The same goes for not just thinking about it in your heart, but actually acting on those things in your life. If you're sleeping with someone you're not legally married to, regardless of what level of commitment you may have, unless you're married in God's eyes, God sees it as adultery. And he's calling his children to live differently, to care well for each other, to actually believe he's a good provider who will provide for you and provide the things that you need and the power to actually live out his ways in those things. If this is an area of struggle for you in your life, 
Please ask for help. Please ask. Do not keep it a secret. Satan's strategy is to isolate people so that he can control you. Ask for help. There's no shame for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so when we actually confess and get things actually out into the open, healing actually can occur. Jesus' gift is bigger and greater and he receives more glory and his grace is multiplied in our hearts and the minds of others when we actually confess the areas of life where we're in need. And so an elder is a man who refuses to fill his mind with sexual images and lives a life that's sexually pure. Another area here under family is has obedient children. That's a hard one, right? Someone, I would say this is someone who's actually a successful father. Again, we're not looking for someone whose kids never disobey. If that was the case, I could not be an elder. Actually, yesterday was a rough day. We, we went bowling, and every time we got back in the car, I don't know what happens when we get in the car, but demons live in my car, and, and, and my kids just explode. And, and, and so I would be out. Um, but we're asking, we want to ask, is there a pattern of health in this area? Especially in the way that he's training and parenting uh, his own children and the children within the church, within his life. The children that, are in, that he's involved with in life. We want to ask, if I were to die, am I willing to allow this man to lovingly care my, for my kids, to walk them through repentance when they're at odds with each other and to, to teach them the obedience of God? Could I allow this man to parent my child? Would this person, would I be confident that my kids would be cared for both spiritually and emotionally? And I'll remind us that this passage um, talks, to, talks to men about how to care for children. It says this in Ephesians 6.44. Fathers, do not um, exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Say, men, it's your responsibility that sure that children are trained in the Lord. It's your responsibility if you're a father. That it's more, and that's more than just knowing the doctrines of the faith. Training in the Lord means that they're learning to apply the gospel in every areas of their life. What it means that, that, that I can't just delegate this responsibility to a, a Sunday school teacher or, or your wife or someone else. You need to be a part of that. You need to take a part of actively training your children as well. That you would read your Bible to your children. That you would pray the gospel over your children. That your children would see it every day. That you would give them clear pictures of His greatness of God. That you would be willing to admit your own fault in front of your children so that they would see and know how to admit their fault and how to confess and that they would be long for him instead of the many other things that people chase in their life that we would be people that don't punish our children in anger but that we would discipline our children in love that we'd give them clear boundaries but that we'd ensure that that their disobedience also has consequences to not be a dictator but rather to lead and to discipline in love to make sure that we focus on the hearts of our children not just some new behavior modification, that we would correct them with gentleness and be firm and consistent with them, that God has appointed you men as the leader of your home, and you need to lead alongside your wife in that, and to serve family by doing that, and that we're all called to do that for all of the children that are under our responsibility and under our care, 
Your kids are your responsibility to ensure that gospel-centered training occurs. And so when we apply this to an elder, we want to say that that responsibility actually grows. That that role of instructing is, is not only the kids that are within your own home, but, but that you would be living that out and ensuring that all of the children within this family are cared for and protected in those ways. That we would be an example of it and that we would exercise oversight in it to make sure that this is happening across the board in the family, providing for ways for that to occur and for that to be taught. That, it, that an elder would actually take the role of a godly family in the broader church family. Which really leads really kind of into the con that many of these things are very connected which really kind of leads to the next one it says manage a family well he provides and leads for organizes and loves i'd say it that way it's this idea that that if a person is going to lead in the church they need to lead at home first it would be foolish to put someone in the role of leading the church when their home is a mess and not just a mess physically but i mean a mess spiritually and and a mess mess emotionally scripture is clear that the church is actually a family we talk about that every week we have it up there Um, that god wants to make sure that that elders take care of his family before he entrusts them to take care of his family he wants he wants to see them demonstrate that in their own family and as responsibility would grow as they're caring for their own family so you think about this idea, I think this plays out into many other many areas of life when it talks about providing for your family. That looks like can look like working hard. It, maybe that's working two jobs, maybe that's going to school at night, whatever that may do. It, whatever it is, whatever it looks like to make sure that your family is provided for. It means taking responsibility for finances. Having a spending plan for your family doesn't mean that you have to do all those things or that the wife can't make more money or, or is in charge of those things, but that, that makes sure that those things are, have oversight in it. Do you have a savings account? Or is, is there enough money to make sure that the needs of your family are covered? To buy housing or clothing, shoes, to make sure a family has enough groceries to eat, but not just not your own family, but those that, that God has called you to invite into your home as well. We're going to see hospitality here in a minute. That you would exercise that. Managing well is not just a financial thing as well, um, but it's ensuring that there's that there's health in all areas of life of the family. That there will be times that, that there's times of rest and times of play and, and family times. It means ensuring that, that family events are organized, that, that, that you're taking family vacations, that you're planning a trip to the park or the zoo or wherever that means, that you would be, be a leader in these areas. It means also, I'd say, taking care of your wife taking her on dates, buying her flowers if she's not allergic to them, making sure that you spend time with your wife, making sure that she has time to spend with her friends and that she has time to rest as well. It's, if we want a person to lead in the church, they must first lead in their own home. And to be honest with you, this is one of those qualifications that's often hard as we're eldering. That when, like I have a day like yesterday, and I'm like, I don't know if I can be an elder anymore. Um, I, I love my kids very much, but there's also times when I need grace in those things. And actually, I had to go and repent to my kids yesterday because I got upset in the car and I'm like, I can't take this anymore. And so I had to actually teach them what it looked like to repent. And so there's this idea that, 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 
We're not saying that you have these things worked out perfectly all the time, but that there's overall health in your life. And that where we're saying, I'm in need of the gospel. And when I fail, I quickly repent and of those things. And I'm asking the Spirit to teach me how to walk in a new way. Um, another thing under this characteristic is, is um, actually the next, next characteristic, or next uh, category is actually relationship to self. Somebody who's temperate. I say that's mentally and emotionally stable. And I say oftentimes leadership is difficult. There's many early mornings. There's many late nights. Many um, men really need to be, an elder needs to be people who are strong in the strength of the Lord. That you be well balanced. That you be consistent. That you be steady. Not so up and down emotionally, but that you be emotionally stable. And it doesn't mean that you're devoid of emotion, but rather that there's this idea that you're confident um, in the value, in your own value, in your own position before God. So even in the face of difficult situations or false accusations, you can humbly listen. You can think and process and discern truth and answer wisely, knowing that God is the most offended party, not you. That we, would, that we would actually see and not take things as a personal offense all the time. It means that we can walk into a difficult situation and an emotionally charged situation between other parties and actually provide stability and provide peace and provide care and provide prayer in the midst of all those things. Next one is this, self-controlled. As you think about self-controlled, um, I'm sure we could ask the question, um, why don't I? I haven't asked any questions in two weeks. I don't know how that happened. Um, what do you think of when you think of self-controlled leader? What would that look like? If you're new with us, you can answer. Um, what does that look like? What's a self-controlled leader look like? Not overly emotional. Okay. So not overly emotional. Someone who's temperate is also part of that. Yeah, good. What else? Mm-hmm. Um, so someone who has, who walks and experiences the same things that all men do and women, but they, the Holy Spirit empowers them to control their themselves. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Yeah, cares about others more than himself. That's definitely self-controlled, right? Like when I'm when I'm me controlled, I'm going to think about myself more than others. Yeah, good. We're going to see that too, and another quality as well. Yeah, good. Yeah. I think we need to ask this question, ask this in your own life. Is your own life consistent or is it out of control? Are you impulsive? Can you keep the commitments and stick with something over the long haul? I think that's being self-controlled as well. An elder is someone who's, who's able to maintain discipline in, in all areas of life with consistency. I want to say self-control means that it's a life of sound decision-making. Again, this is a consistency thing, not just in a one area at one period of time. The next one is just not given to drunkenness. Let's say this means without addictions. I want to be clear here that this is an issue of addictions. It's not just alcohol. It's broader than, than you or I going out and getting drunk. The question is, is whether or not an elder is being controlled by something other than the Holy Spirit. 
Usually when we see this word um, addiction or when we use the word addiction, what comes to mind is probably drugs or alcohol. And certainly illegal drugs should not be a part of our lives. And clearly alcohol is something that God has given us to enjoy, um, but only in quantities that don't cause us to be out of control. Um, But there's many, many other things in our lives that we can be addicted to. It could be food, it could be sex, it could be television, it could be video games, it could be exercise, it could be studying, it could be education. We need to ask, is there anything in your life where I feel like, if I, if I didn't have that, I couldn't live without it? Is there something in your life that you consistently use to bring you satisfaction other than God? If so, it might be an addiction. Another way to say this is, is do you, are, are you prone to have any functional saviors? Are you prone to things being a functional savior in your life? This idea that the elder should not be controlled by anything, but that an elder would look like Jesus is his only source of satisfaction and his only source of fulfillment in his life. That doesn't mean that you don't enjoy other things, but that overseeing all those things, we're finding our ultimate peace and joy and in fulfillment in Jesus. The next one under relationship of self is not a lover of money. Someone who's financially content and upright. I would say it this way. In 1 Timothy 6, we're going to get to this in a few weeks, but it says this, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will also lay up treasures for themselves in a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may hold on to the life that is truly life. It's this idea that we're not being a lover of money means to be learning to be content with what you have. Content with what you have, regardless of what that is. That God is the only one who can satisfy that your job is not the provider. God is your provider. That we would trust God, not the economy. That we wouldn't trust in our job, but we would trust in God. This also plays into the realm of generosity. Being generous with one's finances is really a true test of what's going on in your heart. If we don't see the money that we have as God's money and not ours, that he's given to us as a tool to show the world what he's like and how gracious and how generous he is, then what's going to happen is we're going to hold on to it for ourselves. And the lack of generosity reveals the fact that you actually believe you're the provider of things, not him. And so we need to ask, of God's money, how much of it should I keep? How much of God's money should I keep and how much of it should I give away? Does the way that that you give reflect the God that you serve? This is a call for all of God's family, but especially for an elder. If they're not generous, how can they train or equip others to be generous and to reflect God in those ways? This final category for elders is, is relationship to others. And we should see these things as in one's immediate family, but also with respect of those outside of their home. So someone who's respectable, someone who's worthy of following or imitating. Say it that way. If you're respectable, you're going to be worth following, you're going to be worth imitating. So his elder's life should be worth following. In 1 Peter it says, 
it says shepherd the flock, but it's the idea that, that an elder needs to be an example to the flock. Are you the kind of person that people respect because of your life? I would say a shepherd shares his life freely. He allows others to see his life as an example to follow. People should, should regularly be coming to an elder and saying, I've seen how you've lived this. I know, how, I know that you're trustworthy. Can you train me? Can you equip me? Can you help me in doing that in my own life? And obviously we don't want to hold them higher than Jesus, but we should be able to look at an elder and say, they look like Jesus. I want to be, I want to, I want to be like Jesus in their life, that he, that they, the way he has that in his life. Their life is worth following because it points you back to Jesus again and again. Again, this is for all of the family. We're all called to live this way, that others would desire and see and live and learn and want their own lives and their own family's lives to be a life that reflects God. It's what it means to be a people of God, to offer a picture of a preferred reality, a daily reality that's lived out and designed and how life is actually lived best. Which goes into the next one, hospitable. Someone who welcomes strangers, I would say especially not yet believers. Hospitality in the New Testament always refers to the welcoming of strangers in your home. There were people who would travel for very different reasons and, um, and the church leaders would, would be the ones that would be the first ones to, to greet them and to open their homes. Often this is what an elder would do at a gate as someone was coming into the city and they would provide housing for them. It was also a way of protection to make sure that they would vet them in some type of process. I would say that your door should always be open. Whether that's your neighbors or the people from your community, people should know that they can stop by any time and that they are allowed to be invited into your life. But beyond that, we should be inviting people into our homes on a regular basis, that, that we should be doing that with people that don't yet know Jesus. I want to say, your home is one of the best contexts that you have to build relationship because it's a normal context that everyone knows about. Everyone is familiar with a home. So we invite people into our homes, and hospitality means creating space for others to feel welcome and to feel cared for and to feel rest from the weary mentally and physically and emotionally and spiritually, that we would be people that would continually be inviting not yet believers and the family of God to interact with in our homes, in our context that they're familiar with so that the glory of God would be seen. Next one is this, not violent, someone who's even-tempered. Say it this way, an elder is not the kind of man who resolves a conflict with his fists. If you feel like you need to prove your manhood by fighting with other guys, then you've distorted the view of manhood. I think this also means... um, (laughs) Siri didn't get it. I don't know what happened. Uh, I can say it again. It means you don't fight with your fists, right? Um, Yeah. I think this also means not violent with your words. Whether that's words in an email, words in a text... Or words in person? Are you able... Words have this ability to stir up violence. Scripture says our tongues are two-edged swords. Are we being violent with our words? I think these things are interconnected often. 
This is why it's connected to the next one. An elder is gentle. Someone who's kind, who's gracious, who's loving, who's not overbearing. Men, you and I are called to be gentle. Elders are called to be gentle and lead others in that way. In the Bible, the synonym, I can't even talk this morning, the synonym for gentle is meek. Now that's even a stranger word. Um, it's not a word that we use often, but, but meekness means power under control. I say Jesus was the greatest man that ever lived, ever walked this planet, and he was a very powerful man and a very gentle man. He was a very manly man. Um, he, he endured severe beatings at the hands of professional uh, torturers. He hung on the Roman cross, which was the, the most brutal way to die. And Jesus was a strong, tough man, but he was not violent. He was gentle and kind. Children ran to him. Women followed him, even on the cross. While he shows control and care for those around him, he talks to Peter about caring for his mother. He's praying for you and for me and for those who are torturing him. He's not a man of anger. He's under control. James 1, 19 through 20 says this, Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about righteous life that God desires. Anger does not bring about a righteous life that God desires. I think about it this way. If you've ever seen the movie King Kong, um, there's this enormous gorilla, you should have seen this probably, um, who falls in love with a beautiful woman. Why? I don't know. But um, if you remember very end he's hanging on the top of the empire state building and in one hand he's holding gently this woman and with the other hand he's like knocking airplanes out of the sky he's this enormous fierce gorilla that's clutching a woman carefully and it's power under control he could squash her like a grape but he's under control in the midst of other things god i want to say god Men has given, God has given men great strength often. But he's also asked us to lovingly, humbly submit that strength to him for his use. He asks us to willingly, lovingly care for us. Not to, not to throw our weight around. Not to control or to be manipulative or intimidate people. We're to give our lives away for the sake of others. Meekness is gentleness and power under control, which really relates to the next one, not contentious, someone who's peaceful, not quarrelsome, not divisive. Elders are the kind of men who should not start arguments or pick fights. They actually are people that actually pursue peace. That doesn't mean that they don't speak the truth. Sometimes that's going to cause a quarrel, but there would be people that speak the truth, but they do it in love, Working for restoration, not division. Elders should be people that are easy to work with. I think this is especially true in the matters of, of doctrine and theology. In Second Timothy, Paul says this. He says this in chapter 2, verse 24 through 26. And the Lord's servant must not, be quar- not, must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone. Able to teach, not resentful. He puts those things in the same sentence. Those who are opposed to him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth. That there would be people that speak the truth in love, and when they speak it, it actually sounds like good news, and it would actually be restorative, not divisive. 
that they don't play the blame game like we talked about last week, that they're peace seekers, even in the face of someone who's blaming them, who's throwing insults and lying and, and, and throwing things in their face, which is exactly what we see Jesus do on the cross. Instead of defending, he prays and asks for forgiveness on behalf of those. He's saddened by their sin rather than being offended by it. Are we people that are saddened by the sins of others? Or are we prone to quarrel? Are we prone to try to defend ourselves? It's this idea of being wise when we share the truth and discerning when is the right time for me to speak so that I may be heard and so that the gospel may go forward. The final one here is a good reputation with outsiders. This, This person is respected by not yet believers. We talk about this at Soma, that this is one of our identities, that we're missionaries, that we're all called to be missionaries. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you, lives inside of me. He's the sent one, and he sends us out to do his work. So the leaders of the church must actually be effective in building healthy relationship with not yet believers. An elder must be able to demonstrate the life of Christ outside of, his, outside of this time on Sunday and outside of the time when, the, fam, when the, the family and the missional community gets together. Are we having a reputation with outsiders means that you actually have to know outsiders. Do you know your neighbors? What would your neighbors say about you? Are you known in the community? What are you known for? Are outsiders willing to come to you and, and, and willing to follow you? Are they in your home? Are they in your life? Do they ask you to lead them? Do they ask you for counsel? See, the role of the church is is not just to be a close family that enjoys one another and talks about the finer points of God, but rather the gospel has given us purpose and it's given us to be a part of the rest of the world that we bring the celebration of God to them so that others would see how good and how gracious God is. And that's never going to happen if we don't get among those who don't yet know Jesus. And I'm sure that you think about this and know this, but, but this list is not just for elders. I talked about this in the beginning. This is the biblical standard for each person that we would be growing in, that we would, we would possess in our lives. And as I think about it, it's a bit overwhelming. It's a bit overwhelming to think that this is, this is the life that God has called for me to, to lead you in, And it may be a bit overwhelming as you think about, how can I do this in my own life? And can I tell you, the good news is, you can't do it. You can't try hard to be meek, or gentle, or be above reproach, or to lead your family well, or to be peaceable. The only way that you and I can be the person that God desires is if Jesus actually changed our hearts to do it. The only way that Ryan and I could lead in this, or if Jared is affirmed um, to be an elder or any other elder that God calls to lead in, in, in this church, is, is if God changes our heart to lead this way. That we're all people that need the gospel every day. That we're in need of, of Jesus to change us and to call us and to make us more like himself. That's the good news of the gospel, that Jesus doesn't want your behavior. He's not looking for for you to try to fix your life to put these behavior modifications in, that's never going to last for a long period of time. Once your heart, a heart that, that, that only he can give you, a heart that says, I can't do this. 
I need you to do it for me, in me, and through me. Give me rest from my futile labor of trying to accomplish these things myself. See, the only hope that you and I have in living this way is, in, in the way that he would actually call us is that someone else would actually change us and save us. And the good news is that now because of Jesus, you and I are new creations. He's given us a new heart. A new heart that, that we get to live out of a new identity in that. And the good news is that if you placed your trust in Jesus, you have a new heart. You've been transformed. A heart inside you that is living, that is actually pumping new things into your life has already been given to you. It's molding you into the person that God desires you to be. And men, if he calls you into the role of elders, we're called and we lead well in those things and we lead out of dependence of him, not dependence on our own heart. That's the kind of man that I want to follow. One who's actually dependent on Jesus, who runs to the cross and says, help my unbelief. Make me the man who desires to be the one who points others to see their dependence of Jesus. I pray that that would be my life. I pray that that would be the life of those that, that lead in this church. But also that, that we would all live that way. That God would raise up each one of us to, 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 to see him more clearly. And to live in these ways that he calls all of his family to live. Can you imagine the powerful picture of Jesus that would be if every person in the entire church actually was filled and exhibited all these qualities? And then we were led by humble servants who continued to equip us in them and continued to point people to their need of Jesus. Can you imagine that? What a beautiful picture of the gospel. That is what our city needs. That is what our world needs. They don't need you or me. They need that. They need Jesus. They need, they need people that are dependent on it and growing in those things. And I want to encourage you to pray for these things in your life. To look at these things and, and say, look, I, I may be doing okay in this area, but I need this one over here really a lot of growth. And the one that I think I'm doing well in, I probably need more work probably because I think I actually got that one covered. So pray for those. Ask for, ask the Spirit to change your heart in those things. Share those things within your missional community so that as a, as a family we can be growing in these things together. And I want to ask you also to pray and to think and to give feedback and see, do you see these things in the life of Jared? Can you affirm this call in his life that, that you've seen this type of consistency in these areas in his life over a period of time? Do you feel like God is calling him to come help and serve? And would we affirm that in, to lead in this body? I think it's exciting. I don't know if you do or not, but the good news is that God changes all these things in our hearts. And, and I'm, I'm hopeful that even as we talk about these things, and I know that was just a long list of stuff, um, but that, that he would really change our hearts to be that kind of people in the everyday. And that as a church, we would, we would emulate those things and we would, we would teach those things and, and people would see those things often. In all those things. And God would raise up more elders. And God would raise up more leaders. And we'll talk about deacons who, who are called to be the same qualities of those things. Have different roles within the church. But similar, very similar qualities. And we're going to talk about those in the future too. That we would lay hands and affirm deacons within our body. So Father, I thank you that, um, that we get to lead your people. Thank you that we get to lead those that don't know you to see you. 
Father, I pray that as a family, you would um, clearly um, define whether this is a role that you're calling Jared into, but also that you would grow us as a family in all of these things. That we be people, men and women, who are equally tempered and self-controlled and gentle and, and patient and and not a lover of money and, and all those things. That you would grow us up in maturity. That we would be a body that that deeply loves you and deeply cares for those that don't yet know you. And that we be people that point um, others to Jesus and reveal our need of him. Father, we thank you for this day. Pray that even as we go to baptisms this afternoon, that that you would encourage our hearts and that we would continue to, to help grow and pray for and to teach those um, that God is, that you are calling into your family in this city. We thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.